That's all we have by way of announcements. Let's pray and get into the book of Romans. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, the um, ability to meet and thank you for the privilege of holding your words in our laps or on our phones and Thank you for the chance to to study your word together. And God, I I pray that you would cause your word to have the impact you desire it to have in each of our lives uh, this morning, God, uh, that we can be at peace with you is is an important and a fantastic and amazing um, fact. And so I pray you'd burn into our hearts whichever facet of that truth each of us need this morning, and use that and us to your glory. Bless our time, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know um, how much you might know about the Korean War, but I want to use the Korean War as an illustration this morning, so I have to give you a little bit of a history lesson. Uh, Korea is a peninsula, and it was dominated by the Japanese Empire prior to World War II. The Japanese took Korea over dominated it. And then during the war, the Korean Peninsula was taken away from the Japanese. And because the two uh, superpowers that came out of World War II on the Allies' side, the Soviet Union and the United States, those two former allies suddenly after the war could not get along. Um, Korea, places like Korea, were, were often taken from the defeated enemies and divided between the Soviet Union and the United States to control or the other allies. And Korea was like that. North Korea, north of the 38th parallel, was basically given to the Soviet Union to govern, and that's why it became communist. And South Korea, uh, the the part of the peninsula below the 38th parallel, was basically given to the United States to govern, and it became a democracy. Well, for reasons we won't go into this morning, In 1950, the North Koreans invaded South Korea, trying to take the whole peninsula for communism. And that started a a very bloody back-and-forth war. The North Koreans shoved the South Koreans to the tip of that peninsula, and the United States, helping uh, the South Korean army, pushed the North Koreans back past that original line and into North Korea, and then the Chinese got involved, and, and the North Koreans then pushed the Americans and the South Koreans right back approximately to the exact point where they started at that 38th parallel. And at that point, an armistice was signed. And an armistice is just a fancy word for a ceasefire. Uh, It was just an agreement to stop shooting one another. And and, uh, still today, almost 70 years later, there are still plenty of weapons pointed across that border, the border between North Korea and South Korea, just sort of waiting in case the shooting starts up again. There was, there was nothing signed. There was no peace treaty. There was no reconciliation. The only thing these two sides had was an agreement to stop shooting at one another, stop killing one another. And, and there haven't been any serious military flare-ups since then, but that tension has always been there. That's why it's a hot spot in the world that the fighting could start there uh, at any moment. Well, many people, many Christians even, carry around with them an idea about God and about faith and about religion that is a little bit like that uh, Korean War ceasefire. It's, it's easy for people to believe that, 
that God is this hostile enemy, and uh, Jesus somehow at the cross, if you're a Christian, um, Jesus bought a ceasefire between us and God. But the, the reason that we have religion or faith at all is that that's what we try to, to, to use to keep God from opening fire again, that God always has us in his crosshairs. He always has his finger on the trigger. And all of every time I mess up, every time I sin, God puts a little more pressure on the trigger. And my religious duties and the things I do in church and the good deeds I do help to sort of make God uh, release that pressure on the trigger. But, but my whole religious life is sort of like peace negotiations with God who was my enemy and now is just like uh, an angry dad waiting for me to mess up so we can open fire again. Does that does that ring any bells for you? Does that sound at all? It might be a bit of a caricature, but does it sound at all like your idea of God or your idea of what Christianity or faith or religion are for? Well, today in the book of Romans, as we start chapter 5, Paul is going to write that Christians... Uh, those who have believed that what Jesus did at the cross, he did for them, the Christians actually have peace with God. And that's, a, that's a term that gets thrown around a lot, like, have you made your peace with God? I need to make peace with God. What's it mean to have peace with God? Uh, what does that, what's that do inside of me? What's it do for me? Can it really uh, happen? That's what we want to talk about today, because that's, what Paul talks about today as he begins Romans chapter 5. Where we start today, Romans chapter 5, we're starting a brand new section in the book of Romans. Uh, we have done the first two sections, um, and now we start the third major section of the book of Romans. So here's where we have been. Everything in the first four chapters of Romans, the first two sections of the book, has been about justification by faith. The first section, uh, Romans 1.18 through 3.20, before that there's an introduction. And in that first section, Paul explains to his readers and to us our need to be justified by faith. Justification, to be justified, is kind of a churchy word. It's a legal word, but it's a churchy word that means to be declared righteous. Uh, the Bible's clear. The only people who are getting into eternal life, into heaven, are those whom God deems to be righteous. The problem is, as Paul says in the first section of this book, when we all stand before God in judgment, none of us will be judged as good enough based on our behavior, as righteous. We will not be justified by our behavior. We'll all be without excuse before God. Paul said, that's section one. He summed it up this way. There's no one righteous, not even one. That leaves us with a great need. We need uh, to be declared righteous some other way besides our behavior. Because being declared righteous is our only hope of eternal life. And we can't be declared righteous by our behavior because we're not. We're not righteous. Then in section two, between Romans 3.21 and the end of chapter four, Paul explained that our great hope is justification by faith. God will declare us to be righteous if we believe that the cross was where he demonstrated 
his righteousness and his justice and his mercy and his forgiveness. And if, and if I believe, if you believe that when Jesus hung on the cross, he was there in my place, he was um, getting the punishment that my, the wrath of God that my sins deserved. Paul told us that if we believe that, God promises to give us a free gift of justification, one that we didn't earn, but we get as a free gift by faith. That is justification um, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's where we've been in the book of Romans thus far. And if you've made it that far with Paul, and I don't mean just like reading along or, or listening to these sermons, but if you have been justified by faith, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, the free gift of salvation that comes through Christ alone, if you've been declared righteous, justified by faith, what, in, what impact should that have on you? That's where we're going to start to go. That's where Paul goes in chapter 5. Um, we're only going to make it through two verses today because they're so awesome. They're so incredible. Uh, I had to stop after two verses uh, in this, split this paragraph in half. So this morning I'm calling this uh, sermon, The Results of Justification, Part 1, Peace with a Glorious God. And, and Part 2, the rest of this first paragraph of chapter 5, will come next week. Let's read our passage together. This is Romans chapter 5, just the first two verses Romans 5, 1 and 2, this is the New American Standard Version on your screen, which reads this way, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult or rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's our passage. Let's see what Paul has for us here. The, the first thing Paul does in chapter 5 is he gives a tiny little summary of Romans 1 through 4. He says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, or since we've been justified by faith, like I just said, that's the first four chapters. Why we need to be justified by faith, how we can be declared righteous by faith. And now Paul's going to say, since that has happened, I want to explain the results, the effects of justification by faith. We're going to look at just two results or effects of justification by faith. The first one comes in the rest of verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. And most simply put, uh, because we've been declared righteous by faith, justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's the first result of our justification. We have peace with God. We, since we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. All right, what does it mean that we, you and I, sinners, have peace with God? Well, simply put, it means, or excuse me, most simply, it means at least this, the fighting has stopped between you and God if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Um... Paul's going to say very soon in chapter 5 that in our natural state, we are enemies with God. Uh, James, in his book, says the same thing. Naturally, normally, we are we're at enmity with God. We are, we are God's enemies uh, naturally as, as sinners. And so part of peace with God is that hostility between us and God has ended. But having peace with God, I want you to know this morning, 
is so much more than a, a temporary, tenuous ceasefire between God and us. As I alluded to in the introduction by explaining the, the Korean War, uh, God no longer is in heaven with his weapons pointed at you, waiting for you to mess up so that he can open fire. That's not the kind of peace that we have with God. So what kind of peace, what is this peace like? Well, to understand what Paul means by saying we have peace with God, we have to understand what, what Paul would think when he writes the word peace. The Greek word is arene, but Paul was a, was a Hebrew thinker. He was from the nation of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And when Paul thought of peace, even though he wrote this in Greek, the Greek word is arene, but when Paul talked about peace, the concept in his mind is the concept of shalom. That's a Hebrew concept that does mean peace between two parties, but it's more than just not fighting, not shooting at each other. Like the North and South Koreans, they do not have shalom. They just have no shooting. Shalom means harmony, uh, completeness in relationship, wholeness in relationship, tranquility in relationship. That's the kind of peace that a Christian has with God. It's easy to think our relationship to God is, is different than that. It's easy to think that, that Jesus, when he went to the cross, sure, I mean, I never would have been saved, I never would have been okay, or be able to get to heaven without what Jesus did at the cross, but it's easy to feel like he just bought me a temporary ceasefire, and God still got his finger on that trigger, and he's just waiting on me to mess up. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, listen to it again, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace, we have shalom with God, wholeness, tranquility, completeness in our relationship. How did we get this, this peace? Paul tells us, keep reading in verse 1, we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's really important. This peace we have with God came through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know why you don't have to worry that your behavior, the next time you mess up, the next sin is going to cause God to open fire and start up the hostilities between him and you again? Do you know why you don't have to worry about your behavior canceling this peace, this shalom that you enjoy with God. Here's why. Your behavior did not establish this peace. Therefore, your behavior cannot cancel this peace. Paul didn't say, read on the screen again, Paul did not say we have peace with God through our moral and righteous behavior. That's not how we got peace with God. You remember uh, some weeks ago, you might remember it, it's been a while, but I mentioned what God's opinion, what God's estimation of you was when he rescued you, when he saved you, when he justified you because of your faith. What was God's opinion of you when he saved you? Did God look down from heaven and think, you know, I'm going to save this, uh, this woman because she, she's just so close to being good enough. I mean, she's not all the way good enough, but man, she's... She's pretty close. She's better than most people. 
So I'm going to save her. Did God look down at you and say, I'm going to save this guy because he's been working so hard. He keeps messing up, but boy, does he work hard to be good. Is that why God picked you for his team? Is that who God picks for his team? The people who maybe they're not good enough. I mean, because nobody's good enough. Nobody's perfect. We all know that. But God picks those who are better than most, above average. No. No, that's not who God saves. In Romans 4, 5, Paul said, However, to the one who does not work, but trusts the God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. The only people God rescues are ungodly. That word can be translated wicked. That was God's opinion of me when he saved me. That's the only kind of people there are. If the first section of Romans, Romans 1 and 2, is correct, and it is. Paul says, he will say in chapter 5 that you are, he'll say again, that you are ungodly or wicked. When he saved you, you were helpless. You were a sinner. You were dead. And somehow we moved from being dead, wicked, ungodly enemies of God to a position of having peace with God. How did that happen? How did we move? By this point in the book of Romans, we should know. Paul just summarizes it here. We moved from being enemies, dead, wicked, ungodly, sinful enemies of God to being in a position of shalom in our relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Your behavior didn't get you this peace. Jesus' behavior got you this peace. So when your behavior changes and you mess up and you sin and God does not want you to mess up and sin. He doesn't condone it. He doesn't appreciate it. He doesn't look the other way. But your peace with God was not established based on your behavior. It was based on Jesus' behavior, and his behavior hasn't changed. So this shalom, this peace we have with God, is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know really why God is not, to continue this um, illustration, why God no, still doesn't have you in the crosshairs. He's not going to open fire um, and punish you with his wrath. Do you know why we're not under that risk anymore? Because he has no more ammunition left for any of your sins. He fired it all on his son at the cross. That's, that's the truth. He, he, he emptied all of his wrath. He emptied the, the clip, the, the, the chamber, the magazine, the arsenal. And now, like Paul will say in chapter 8, now there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This peace was established by Jesus. And he has not changed, nor has his Father. And so the, this peace, this shalom that we have with God is unbroken. I want you to notice that Paul says we have peace with God. We, we have the tense of that verb in Greek. It's in the present tense, which is a little different in Greek. That means this peace is continual. It's perpetual. It's ongoing. 
Paul doesn't say we hope someday to have peace. We hope at the end of our lives we've been good enough that we'll have peace with God. No, he says right now and continually and perpetually, if you've been declared righteous by believing in Jesus Christ and you've received the free gift of justification, you have peace with God. The next thing I want to tell you about this peace of peace that you have with God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that this peace, this shalom we have with God, is not a feeling. It's a fact. And I want to try to explain this with another illustration from the world at war. <laughs> um, unlike the Korean War, the Second World War, uh, it ended differently than the Korean War. World War II ended with actual surrenders and treaties and reconciliations to where people who were formerly enemies were no longer enemies. The United States and Germany are not enemies anymore. The United States and Japan are not enemies any longer. The ending of that war was so much different. But not everybody got the message that the war was over. Did you ever read stories? These, these used to happen every, every few decades or something. Um, so the Pacific Ocean is just filled with, with little islands. And before their surrender, before and during World War II, the Japanese scattered soldiers on all of these islands, not knowing where the Allies, the, especially the Americans, would attack next as they worked closer and closer to the mainland of Japan. And some of these soldiers never received word that the war was over. And every once in a while, every few decades, uh, but for decades after World War II was over, somebody would find some, a Japanese soldier or two on, on some island, and they were still willing to die defending uh, an empire that didn't exist in a war that was over. Right? And this has to be true because they even found one of these soldiers on an episode of Gilligan's Island. If you anybody remember that? I mean, the, the skipper would never lie to us. So that has to be true. But no, there were real stories about this too. And the, the stories about these guys, they lived for decades in these jungles, still doing drills, keeping their weapons in fighting order, and ready to die in, in a war that, that didn't exist, shooting people who, who, would, who are no longer their enemies. But now let me ask you, about these soldiers, these Japanese soldiers, just because they didn't feel like the war was over, did that change the fact that the war was over? Just because they, uh, they still did drills, they were still willing to die, they were still willing to fight and to shoot, did that have anything to do with the fact that the United States had dropped two atomic bombs on the Japanese homeland and ended the war? Did their feelings change the facts? Of course not. They were just wrong. They were uninformed. It was, there was no, it was no wonder they were wrong. They just, word had never reached them that the war was over. But just because they felt like the war was still going on did not mean the war was still going on. Going on. Here's why I say all of that. Because it is very, very easy as a Christian to, to fall back into feeling like I'm not at peace with God. 
feeling like I'm not a real Christian, feeling like there's no way God could be at peace with me. If God really does know everything I've done, there is no way he can be okay with me. Does that ring any bells with anyone? When you fall into those kind of feelings, I want you to ask yourself, what do you believe about Jesus and his cross? Do you believe that the reason Jesus went to the cross was to absorb the wrath of God that should be aimed at you? The reason we feel like there's no way God could be at peace with me is because we know our sin and we know we don't deserve to be at peace with God. That part's true. But are you going to believe your feelings? Or are you going to believe the facts? Who are you going to believe? Because the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this book of Romans, which is his clearest attempt at defining Christianity. The Holy Spirit, leading the Apostle Paul to write the Scripture, said, if you have been justified by faith, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have peace with God. Your behavior didn't get there, didn't get you there. Jesus' did. Your behavior can't get you out because Jesus' behavior has never changed. The moment you believe that, that is what Paul says. That's why through Jesus Christ, verse 2, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. The grace in which we stand is this peace with God. Grace is a word that means undeserved, unmerited favor. Something good that we don't deserve. Peace with God is the amazing grace in which we stand. Some of us are like the soldiers that need to surrender. Some of us tend to try to keep God at a safe distance, like he's an angry parent and we just want to ignore him and maybe he won't see us and he won't yell at us if we, we just keep our distance. It's not the relationship we have with God. When God looks at you, he sees, he sees the perfection, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is the grace in which we stand. Now, I told you at the beginning we were going to get the two results of our justification by faith. We've only done one. Because we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. I have time, briefly, this one's shorter, for one more. The second result of being justified by faith is this. We exult in the hope of the glory of God. Because we've been justified by faith and we're at peace with God, that allows us to rejoice in the future hope of the glory of God. Now, to understand what this means, we have to understand first how God, excuse me, how Paul uses the word hope. Um, the, the, the Greek word here is elpis, and it gets translated hope in English, which is a correct translation. But the concept behind Paul's use of the word hope is different than the way you and I normally use the word hope. When we use the word hope in English, we usually use it like the word wish. I hope we get some rain soon. I wish we would get some rain soon. I hope football season starts this fall. I wish 
football season would start this fall. We, we use the word hope for something that has not happened yet, but that we want to happen, but we're not sure it's going to happen. That's not how Paul uses the word hope. Paul uses the word hope as a confident expectation of something that has not happened, but that Paul is sure is going to happen. When our hope is in the promises of God, we can be absolutely sure that what we hope in will happen. And so, having said that, Paul says, because of our justification by faith and the peace we have with God, one thing that should result inside of us is we should rejoice. We are allowed now to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now that should make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. It may not. So let me explain what Paul is saying here. If you, if you studied Romans 1 and 2 with me, or if you've studied them previously and understood them, um, do you remember what our real problem is before God? It has something to do with the glory of God. Our real problem with God isn't even all of the sins that we have sinned. Those are problems, don't get me wrong, and they would be enough of a problem. But our sins are actually the symptom or the results of our real, of our, our biggest problem, our our big problem, I said it this way when we studied Romans 1 and 2, and you can find those sermons uh, through our website, the audio versions, through the sermons page in our website. You can click on the SoundCloud uh, link on our website and find all of these sermons. But, but here's what I said was our, our biggest problem. We have, I said it this way, we have suppressed the truth, we have bought the lie, and we have made a terrible exchange. And that has to do with the glory of God that Paul talks about here. See, the truth is, there is a God out there who created all of us, and because he created us and this, this whole universe, we are accountable to him. That's the truth. And so the truth is, the best way I could spend my life is to spend my life glorifying God, helping other people to know how awesome God is, showing through my life how great and good is our God thanking him, honoring him, glorifying him. That's, the, that's my best life now. But we suppress that truth. And we buy the lie that says, my life would be better spent if I worked to glorify me, honor me, get more for me, help other people to know how awesome I am. And that's the terrible exchange that we make. Paul wrote it this way in Romans chapter 1. For although people knew there was a God out there, they did not glorify him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts and their senseless hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God in an ancient history for, for idol worship, for an image resembling mortal human beings or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. And when we studied this passage, so we, still, we still do this. Ancient people ignored the truth that there was one creator God out there, and they started worshiping these little fake gods that they thought might get them what they want. I want a better harvest this year, so I'll worship a god of the harvest. I want more kids, so I'll worship fertility gods. 
I want and on and on and on. And we still serve the thing, same things, whether we bow down to a little statue or not. We have exchanged the glory of God for the glory of me. That's what made us enemies of God. Now, justification by faith does something incredible for us. It allows us once again, Paul said, to rejoice in the hope of God's glory. Do you know every single person who has ever lived is one day going to stand in the full-on glory of God? For most people, that's going to be a terrifying experience. Because they're without excuse. If they've not been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, they're going to be condemned, and they're going to agree at that time that it is right, it is just. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, what Paul says here, when we've been justified by God, we are so at peace with God, we can rejoice in the sure expectation of the moment when we stand in the glory of God. Now, I want you to notice something. If, if, if Paul couldn't be 100% sure that everyone who believes in Jesus was guaranteed to be at peace with God that would continue forever and ever and ever in spite of how they mess up, in spite of their sins, in spite of whatever goes on. If Paul couldn't be 100% confident that when someone's justified, when somebody believes in Jesus Christ, they are good with God forever and ever and ever, Paul could never write what he writes at the end of verse 2. He could never say, we are at peace with God and we rejoice in the sure expectation of that moment when we stand in God's glory. Paul would have to say, and we, man, we wish, we, boy, be careful, you better be good. You, you, man, you better hope you've been good enough. I don't know what it's going to be like when you stand in God's glory, but that's why you go to church. That's why you take communion. That's why you do these things, because you can't be, sh no. He says, if you've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We got that through the Lord Jesus Christ, not through our own behavior. That is the grace in which we stand, and that's what allows us to rejoice in, in the, the confident expectation of that moment when we stand in God's glory. And instead of being a horrific experience, it will be the best moment of our existence. That, that moment is coming, O Christian. And that should have some impacts, some this exulting, uh, rejoicing in, in the hope of God's glory should have some lasting impacts on our lives. But that is the subject for next week's sermon. So what did we learn today? We learned that if you've believed on Jesus, you've been declared righteous, judged as righteous in God's courtroom, and that puts you at peace. It's shalom with God. Your behavior didn't get you there. Your behavior can't get you out. And that allows you to have a confident, joyous anticipation of that moment when you stand in the glory of God. That day's coming. And if you have believed in Jesus Christ, it will be great. If you have never believed, if you haven't believed in God, if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ and that what he did at the cross, he did to take the, 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 the weapons of God's wrath that should have been aimed at you, I'd encourage you to, to place your faith in Jesus Christ today. You don't need me. You don't need church to be, to be meeting. All you need to do is, is believe.
I would tell the Lord, I would invite you to pray and just tell the Lord, uh, I understand you have allowed me to understand why Jesus went to the cross and I believe he did that for me. And then you can have the fact, maybe not always the feeling, but you can have the fact of being at a continual perpetual peace with God. And you can have the, the you can rejoice in the hope of the day you stand before him in glory. Pray with me and we will end our time this morning. Father God, I thank you so much for doing for us what we could never do ourselves. We could never be righteous based on our behavior, but you made us righteous when we believed because of Jesus's behavior. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for our justification. And thank you for the peace we have with you that you established through what you did, that now we are no longer your enemies. We can be your children. We can be your friends. And we can have the hope, a rejoicing hope of the day we stand before you. We love you, Lord. Bless our week in Jesus' name. Amen.